When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. everyone. I wanted to provide a disclaimer to this episode. I truly appreciate Janet being so open and vulnerable, but in the first part of this episode, we do discuss heavy topics, including rape and molestation. Well, I think this whole episode is phenomenal. If for whatever reason you are unable to listen to these topics, you are welcome to skip to the 43-minute mark. everyone. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps. Today I have Deplorable Janet from the Deplorable Nation on. Her and I have been great friends and she actually is the first one who had me on any podcast and I'm super excited to have her on my show today. Thank you, Janet, for being here. I am honored by dear that you invited me to come on your show because I just absolutely adore you. I love you to pieces and I think you're a remarkable, fantastic lady that everyone needs to know. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I feel the same about you. You have such a great personality and character and it just, it's always fun talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. So one of the things that I want to start off every speed bumps um, episode with is asking the guests two things that they love about themselves or two of their favorite things about themselves, just because speed bumps can be sometimes a little dark in the middle. And so I kind of want to keep that high vibration going as much as possible. So what are two of your favorite things about yourself? And I agree with that. And uh, I think that's fantastic that you start your show that way. So for me, um, one thing that I love about myself is that I am a super duper good listener. Um, I kind of like people's therapy blanket. They call me to talk about their issues all the time. So um, I like that I'm always willing to listen to uh, people to help them get their frustrations or irritations or problems out. So that's one. Um, And I would say the second one is... I'm very selfless. Um, I really get joy out of serving others, helping others, um, whether it's, you know, uh, needing things for their family or, you know, cooking for people or um, taking people meals when they um, 
are going through some kind of crisis or, you know, whatever. I just love being of service to other people. I love that. And I can definitely attest to both of those things. There's been many times where I've just not known what to do. And you're like, well, just call me and chat. And so both of those things definitely just go hand in hand. And uh, absolutely. Yes, you're just definitely (laughs) both of those things. And I just absolutely love that about you. Well, I appreciate that because uh, I think there's not a lot of people that um, I think a lot of people are very selfish and they think about themselves a little bit too much when they should maybe be focusing on another people and that can fix a lot of problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with, I guess, being selfish when you need to, because you can't pour from an empty cup, but being selfish Mm -hmm. too much, I think is what a lot of people do. Exactly. So are there any speed bumps that you wanted to talk about in particular? I know you've been through so much, Um, And so I don't want to guide you in any way or tell you what you should or shouldn't talk about, but I know that you have many speed bumps, some that we can relate to you and Mm -hmm. I. And so, yeah, what do you want to share today? Oh boy, there is so much. Um, I could literally write a book about (laughs) my life, um, but it wouldn't just be one book. It would be a lot of volumes. And I think for me, um, speed bumps are also traumas that happen. Um, and anything that gives you a setback on your path in life and what, what you think your path is, um, at that particular time. So for me, I'll just, I'll just start with this. Um, so growing up, uh, I was in a, uh, very non loving household. Let's put it that way. Um, so there wasn't, you know, hugging, kissing, I love you, cuddly, snuggly, uh, any of that stuff, um, which uh, sets kind of like the tone of your childhood. Um, had a brother and a sister, and my parents had favoritism uh, toward my sister. And so... I got to hear all the time, oh my God, why can't you be more like your sister? Your sister is so perfect. Why can't you be like your sister? And so that set the tone for me growing up because it put into my mind that not only was I unworthy of love, um, but I was also not good enough. Um, And I was never good enough because... They were not, not shameful um, in any way about hiding their, their favoritism. Um, So that was, that was really rough. And so one of the first things that happened to me, uh, I was 12 years old and I was riding my bike at the park. Um, I was pulled off of my bike and I was raped at 12. And so I can remember telling my mom when I got home, what had happened, where it would happen, um, describe the person and the response that I got was, we're not going to mention this again, because um, it will make us look bad as a family and other people will judge us. 
Uh, so push those emotions down, uh, push that uh, frightened little child thing down. Basically, just pull up your big girl pants and and fucking deal with it. That's absolutely awful. I'm so sorry. When I was 16, the guy I was dating at the time um, in my parents' basement while my parents were sleeping upstairs. Um, and it it took me a really long time to get past the fact that I could have screamed, yelled. My parents would have been down there in 15 seconds, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't. And there was definitely that shame and things like that of, you know, mm-hmm. don't talk about it. We're not going to mention this again. And right. I didn't tell my parents for years because how could I? So right. I am proud of you that you told your mom, but the way that your mom handled it, mm-hmm. that is not good at all. Like, I hope that, uh, you've been able to work through that because mm-hmm. that is definitely not an easy thing to go through, especially at such a young age, actually, regardless of the age, but I'm at 12, some 12 year olds don't even know what sex is. Right. So you might not even have understood. Yeah, and that, happening. and, and that was a thing because, um, my parents didn't talk to us about anything. And so we didn't have discussions about sex because, oh my God, it's dirty subject is taboo and you can't discuss that. And so, um, you know, growing up, it's like I didn't have a lot of education on a lot of things that I should have had just because there was not that um, open communication. And so, even though, uh, like my, my life has been a series of, um, I'm going to say unfortunate events, uh, definitely a lot of speed bumps. I'm also very grateful and thankful because it has shaped who I am today and my personality today. And I couldn't be more thankful even for these traumatic, um, horrific events because it helped me um, to evaluate myself. And so like going from this, um, you know, this traumatic incidents of rape and how it's like, you must have done something to deserve that. Um, it must be your fault, uh, you know, mentality and, and bury it in like poop in a litter box because uh you don't want that to, to look like a bad light on you. Um, so again, that shaping like, okay, well, I'm, I feel like a dirty piece of garbage because not only am I not getting love at home, uh, but now I'm not getting any support at home and I'm not good enough for anybody. And that sent me on a path of really crappy relationships. And so um, the next traumatizing thing that happened um, was when I was in high school and I was dating this guy. I had been with him for, uh, you know, several years. And anyway, we finally decided to get married. And so you know, we got engaged and he's like, I'm going to go with my friend and we're going to go, you know, hang out and spend the day together. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, have fun. I hope you enjoy your day. And um, several hours later, I get a phone call 
that uh, he was in a massive car crash and died instantly. He was thrown from the car and died. Um, so that's the same day that I got engaged um, as he died several hours later. And that was traumatizing because at the time we had been together for four years. And I thought, this is the person I'm going to spend my life with. And I finally found somebody that loves me. But then the details come out of what had actually transpired that day. Um, Him and his friend had gone to some females' houses for a wink party. Wink, wink. Um, So there was a lot of drinking involved. There was... um, sexual escapades involved. And so even though I did not see it at the time, um, and all I could see was anger and rage and, you know, seriously took away the only person that actually paid attention to me and loves me. Now, you know, working through these things and looking back on it, I'm, I'm grateful that it happened because God had a better person in store for me. And as terrible as that may sound, um, you know, that, that somebody's life was lost. That was not the path I was supposed to be on. And I didn't know that until much, much later. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot where, you know, everyone says something bad happens and people always go, oh, well, there's always a reason for it, right? You might mm-hmm. not understand it. Correct. And I would hear that. And I, especially in the times that like you have that traumatic thing or you're so angry, or so upset and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. That's a bunch of bullshit. But mm-hmm. then I started to wonder, and this has only been in the past couple of days, let's say um, that, you know, your fiance who died or the man who raped you or the guy who raped me or any of those things. Yes, it happened to us, but there's also someone else in that scenario. Mm -hmm. So what if what they were doing was part of their path? Right. And it had a purpose for them. And we Mm -hmm. were just kind of the collateral damage. Right. And that totally changed how I looked at some of the things that happened Mm -hmm. because just because our paths crossed doesn't mean that what happened to me was, uh, Like I did something wrong or things like that. It was also part of their path in recognizing that other person. Right. And that was mind blowing to me of, it took it out of the selfish realm that Mm -hmm. we were just talking about earlier of, you know, just because something happens to you, we want to think it's about me, 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 me. Right. Well, typically there's other people involved in whatever situation that is. Mm -hmm. What about that other person? They could have been doing the most horrible thing. But there was still another person and it was also their path. Right. A hundred percent. And, and that's the thing that um, I think a lot of people forget when they go through um, traumatic incidents, you know, regardless of what it is, um, even like a house break-in or something, it is, everybody has a path that they have to walk in life. Um, And it is not until a series of events where you are faced with, do you change um, your personality? Do you change your behavior 
to become a better person. So the people that assaulted us or, you know, the ex-fiance, um, they were getting messages at the same time on their journey in life. Like do like my fiance, especially, do you want to continue drinking? Do you want to continue partying? Um, do you want that to be your legacy? And they have to go through these things on their path of self-discovery as well. Um, and a, a lot of people don't, don't look at that because they look at it through like a very, you know, narrow lens and you don't have peripheral vision to see what else is around. So that's, that's the first two things that happened. And then this is another uh, lovely, lovely relationship um, that I had after his death. I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll be lucky enough to find somebody else that actually cares. So I meet this guy and he's very good at um, making me feel like I'm special, making me feel like I'm important. What I did not know is he was very, very, very good at hiding um, his true identity and his true self. Um, so lucky me, uh, he was a massive abuser. Um, he broke my wrist. He broke my arm. He broke my ribs. Um, all because of a just insane incident. My parents had come to visit us. We went to a park where, you know, walking on this pathway or whatever. And I had to go to the bathroom so bad. And my dad's like, well, you know, there's no bathroom around. If you want to go ahead and, you know, cop a squat, like I'll keep watch. Everything will be okay. Um, so in his, in this guy's sick, twisted mind, um, he thinks that there's, uh, like something sexual between my dad and I, because I had to pee. And so when we got back to the apartment and my parents left, that's when I got the beating of a lifetime. Um, and so obviously, uh, that didn't work out, but now I had a lot of broken bones and uh, a lot of pain and, you know, the, the trauma of the whole ordeal. It's like, oh, you know, where am I going to go now? Now I'm going to be embarrassed because I can't make it on my own yet. So now I'm going to have to go back and, and stay with my parents again. Um, what a loser I am, right? And so I go through that whole, you know, shameful walk of shame ordeal of having to go back to my parents' house um, as a young adult because I wasn't financially capable at the time of taking care of myself. Yeah, it it's funny. I see, I see so many parallels between your story and mine. And it's, it's wild how, so the rape wasn't your fault. Uh, the the ex-fiance drinking and doing his escapades was not your fault. 
uh, you having to pee and like, that's just weird and twisted. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, this guy is thinking that something perverted is going on and clearly it's not like Mm -hmm. we all pee, we all poop guys. Like it it happens. (laughs) Um, I'm sure there's books called that. Um, but you know, and then you thinking, well, I, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. No, but getting out of that mindset is so freaking hard. I, mm-hmm. When I was hit by the car and I had to go back and live with my parents because I had a broken pelvis, mm-hmm. I, I had a similar thing like, oh, I'm such a loser. I couldn't walk. Right. It wasn't my fault. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I'm such a loser. I'm back home with my parents. Right. And it's this society. People used to live in as you know, grandparents, parents, kids, you know, all in one house. And now all the generations. Yeah. Yes. And now it's kicked out at 18. And if you have to go back because you need help, somehow this is shameful. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder if uh, that construct of a household with the multiple generations, if that still was common, at least in America, I know it's common in other, other cultures, if we would still feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, if we would have felt the shame of having to go back, right? If it would have just been like, oh yeah, my parents love us or my family loves us. And that's what we're supposed to do. Right. And so, um, there's a lot of, uh, especially Hispanic people that, that still live that way. Um, or Indian culture people, uh, still live that way because, you know, I have friends of both and it's like, you know, their, their parents, their grandparents, if they're lucky to still have great grandparents, you know, and then them and their kids and, and whatever. And that's to me, that is the pure definition of a safe space because you have all of these close family members under one roof. Um, I personally can't imagine my family, uh, being generations under one roof, but I'm, I'm very, um, happy for the people who do have that in their life because they have something that the rest of us don't have. But the good thing is that, um, in our society nowadays, family doesn't just mean your immediate family because you're my family. Shannon's my family. You know what I'm saying? All the people I've met along the way are family. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, uh, there's a thing it's like blood is thicker than water or something, but Mm -hmm. family can blood family doesn't have to mean they don't always have your best interest heart. My husband's adopted and his Mm -hmm. biological mother was adopted. So his family isn't blood. He doesn't have any quote unquote blood family, but he's mm-hmm. closer to his adoptive mother and things like that. And some right. of the best friends. And so, like you said, the connections that you make is what makes you family, not your DNA. A hundred percent. So, um, traveling down my little, um, road of, uh, potholes and tons of speed bumps, um, the rumble the next, strip, right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it's like. That was what my was life. My life was like for a very long time. Um, so then I moved on to my ex-husband. That was probably one of the more traumatic experiences I have ever had in my life. And boy, oh boy, was it full of 
speed bumps. Um, he was a master manipulator. So again, very good at hiding uh, his true identity, his true personality. Um, so, you know, he was very, oh, you know, let's go out to eat. I'll pay for it, uh, whatever. And making me believe that I'm special once again and that, you know, things are going to be good and that's going to be a great relationship. And so several years into our marriage, um, I got pregnant. It was very unexpected. Um, it was, it was a boo-boo, uh, from the pill at the time. Um, then the true nature of him came out. Um, and with that was drugs. And so it was just marijuana at first. Um, and then it moved to Coke and heroin, um, and graduated to methamphetamine, um, very violent tempered. And so, uh, there would be times where it was like fits of rage and he would break every piece of furniture in the house or turn the couch upside down or tear the, you know, the door off of the oven or whatever, because he couldn't find something or he got out of bed and, and whatever emotion set him off. Um, and so it was very, um, difficult to tread because I had to be two separate people. Um, I could be one way at work, um, and be my normal self at work. And then at home, I had to be someone else because I was always afraid to say or do, uh, the wrong thing because, um, his fits of rage progressed into violence. And so multiple different times while I was pregnant, um, he would punch me in the stomach. Um, so had an issue with that, almost lost my daughter. Um, and then uh, while I'm with him, we go out to celebrate my birthday. He gets so ungodly drunk because he was also a, a very big alcoholic. He got so drunk he couldn't drive. So I'm driving. We get in an accident late at night. I almost lost my daughter again. I went into preterm labor, um, was on bed rest for quite a while. So while I'm on bed rest, can't move, um, confined to the bed uh, because of the trauma sustained in the accident. Um, I have to deal with his violent fits of rage and um, I like to call them temper tantrums. And so he would storm into the bedroom and tear stuff up, busted the glass um, sliding closet door, whatever. And I have to witness this while laying still, you know, and, um, so that went on for quite a while. And I kept thinking, Oh, 
going to have her and then, you know, we'll go to counseling and things will get better. Um, that did not happen. Things progressed. They got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I am not a quitter. Um, I tried my very best to help him with his alcohol problem, help him with his drug problem, because I was not into either. Um, I was going to nursing school at the time. And so um, I thought, you know what, God, just please get me out of this situation. And um, as the violence was escalating, he decided that he was going to go uh, out of state on a personal trip with his friends. And so I saw that as my opportunity to leave. So when my daughter was two years old, he left on his trip and I left permanently. Yeah, that's, that's a whole lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't even know what to say. Like, Would you like me to tell you something else about that situation? Yes. This is also a very big speed bump, and this will be a recurrent speed bump theme uh, with my ex-husband. But uh, I did not find out until years later that he was sexually molesting our daughter. Um, He also sexually molested one of the little neighbor girls, uh, which I was not aware of. But on his path, because he's been married now, I don't know, eight, nine times now, each person that he married um, was for a purpose, something that would serve his needs. Um For me, it's because my parents were uh, into politics and knew a lot of people. So he thought my parents could get him out of uh, trouble because he's had a lot of DUIs, um, a lot of drug charges, but nothing ever stuck because his family has a lot of money. So on this, on this path um, with him, and this is a big part of like our journey and and our life, me and my daughter. So each time that he would get married, um, again, he would have the drugs and the, and the drinking and the violence uh, in, in these families, new relationships as well. Um, And their kids uh, or the ladies kids would not live with them. Um, They would always go live with their father because of his violence and his temper tantrums and and the whole nine yards. So the lady he married after me was a pharmacist um, who helped him uh, get the stuff that he needed to start manufacturing methamphetamine, Um, manufacturing meth in the house. And so during this whole time, I'm fighting the court system. I'm like, he's making meth. I don't want my child there. And in the state that I lived in, it's like, well, too bad because you got to have parenting time with the father. 
uh, blah, blah, blah. So he's manufacturing meth. Then he starts selling it across state lines. Um, He's drunk when he shows up to pick up our daughter, call the police. The police are always involved for years and years and years after we're divorced. And, And we keep going down that road. Well, then all of a sudden my daughter comes home from a forced visit by the court with her dad and his new wife. And she tells me about the porn that they are watching with her. And she describes it in great detail. And mind you, she's little. She's very explicitly explaining this. We go through um, the DHS service. Um, I file a report. They do a quote investigation and they come back and tell me that they can't do anything. Um, They don't really see anything wrong with it because it would be no different if the child walked in on their parents having sex. So they didn't do anything. Hey, I, you know, I have a stepdaughter. I can't with this court system. If Mm -hmm. a parent is coming to you and they have video evidence and they have police reports Mm -hmm. and they're like, Hey, the other parent, and I'm not favoring the mom or dad at this point. Okay. Right. Other parent is doing drugs, taking the child to um, buy marijuana, Mm -hmm. to you know, drinking around the daughter to like all the things that you mentioned. Right. And you know, maybe the child threatening to run away and like, you're asking for help. You're asking all the people that you're supposed that are like, yeah, we're going to totally help you if something's wrong with your kid. And -hmm. then you're like, Hey, this is all the stuff my kid's being exposed to. And this is all the stuff that's happening. And they're like, well, it's not really that bad, but you know, Mm -hmm. if the situation was reversed that like you would have lost custody of your daughter. And it like, I, I don't understand this court system. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't protect the children at all. And I just Mm -mm. like, I could go on a whole rant about the court system because we're currently fighting with it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to say too much, but yeah, the court system does not protect the children and the judges are going to favor whoever they politically side with. So if Mm -hmm. one parent brings up a political issue in court. Mm-hmm. The judge is automatically going to side with that parent and not listen to the other one. And it mm-hmm. infuriates me. And it's a, it's a hundred percent because um, we dealt with the court system back and forth in and out constantly for about 10 years. So after he's married to this woman, they get divorced <clears throat> We're still fighting through court. Uh, I'm trying to get sole custody because he's just a living piece of shit. Um, Still drinking, uh, still drunk all the time, still doing drugs all the time, uh, watching pornography with his daughter, sexually assaulting his daughter. Then he marries another woman. And I told my daughter, I'm like, I'm going to get you a phone. I want you to keep it with you uh, when they force you to go visit him again. I want you to keep it with you, but hide it so they cannot find it. 
So he's with her. Um, and there's a fight that breaks out. And so my ex-husband and his new wife are beating the crap out of each other um, in the house. They're throwing things. Uh, my daughter gets injured by a flying object. So she calls me, can you come and get me? Um, and I'm getting ready to go down there. And then I hear police sirens and I am like an hour away from them. And so I couldn't get there fast enough. The police get on the phone. They're like, is there someone else that lives here that could come and get your daughter until you can get here? And so his brother had to go and pick her up, um, take care of her injuries, her wounds, the whole nine yards. So they go, they go off to jail. Um, And then several days later, we're sitting at the table eating dinner and her phone starts going off. And I'm like, who's texting you? And she turns sheet white. And I'm like, what's the matter? And she throws her phone across the table to me. And she's like, it's my dad. And so she is getting the most disturbing, raunchiest, disgusting sexual text messages from her dad about uh, her sucking his dick and uh, putting his penis in her vagina and all kinds of just on and on and on. And so roughly, are we talking elementary, middle school, high school, out of high school at this point? You don't have to give me ex- elementary school. Oh, dear God. And your daughter is now out of high school and like grown, right? Yes. Okay. She's an adult now. Okay. So this is something that has been going on for, okay. Yes. So um, we took her phone. We went to the state police post. I gave them her phone. They transcribed all the messages, had a doll. They're going to do an investigation. Wink, wink. Uh, DHS gets called in again for the umpteenth time. Um, And so we wait and wait and wait. And then the state police come back and they say, "Uh, I'm really sorry, um, but there's nothing we can do because he says that he meant those text messages for his wife. And I said, his wife who was sitting in the same room with them on the same fucking couch, but he's texting my daughter who lives an hour away. I'm like, if my husband's wife was sitting on the couch with him, then why would he be texting her in the first place? Why wouldn't he just be speaking these words? So again, the system failed because they did not do a motherfucking thing. I don't understand. I like, I legitimately don't understand how you can literally hand all this evidence over to Mm -hmm. the court system, to social services, to the police. Mm -hmm. And they literally go, that's not enough. Right. Motherfucker. What else would you like me to do? Does it need to happen in front of your eyes? Um, And, and even that even, Oh my, like, 
Oh, I'm sorry. And in most, in most cases, um, and this is Jay, I can tell you this from, you know, working as a nurse for a long time, the system is set up to favor the shit parent, because even if you have a parent that uh, breaks their child's skull uh, by hitting them over the head or whatnot, you know, and they come in to see us and we do the x-rays and we report it. Um, they may take them away for 24 hours and then they'll give them right back to that parent. And so the same thing happened here where it was like, uh, drug manufacturing, uh, drug running across state lines, massive alcoholism, driving drunk, uh, sexual molestation, rape of a child, rape of a neighbor child, the whole nine yards and and for years and years and years and years we fought this um and so that was like a gigantic chunk of time but i will say even though it's super shitty everything that happened and everything that she went through um it taught me a lot about what it is to be a very protective parent, uh, what I need to do to change my behavior to get shit done. Because if any of this would happened at the age I am now, uh, they would definitely do something because I would light shit on fire now to save my child. So not, the traumatizing events uh, that your daughter went through. My stepdaughter's going through her own Mm -hmm. things. And, you know, my husband has bent over backwards, has all the evidence and Mm -hmm. they don't listen. And so I know the answer to this, but I know one question that viewers or listeners might wonder is, well, why couldn't your daughter just say she didn't want to go? Why? Like, what do you mean the courts forced her to go? They're not going to like pick up a child and make her go. So how did they force her to go? <laughs> like, I know the answer, but explain yeah. it to someone who hasn't had to deal with this system. Um, when you have a lot of, or at least the state that we were in at the time, um, when you have a lot of issues between uh, the parents, um, Regardless of of what the issue is, a lot of times they will appoint a court, quote, wink, 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 advocate. Um, That court advocate does, can uh, come and pick up your child. And you are also under threat of jail time if you do not do the mandated um, custody, shared custody uh, visitation schedule that the judge sets. So um, if I were to go to jail, the system is also set up that my custody would have been stripped away and would have been given solely to my ex-husband. And that, like... That is the part that absolutely infuriates, well, many things, but that infuriates mm-hmm. me. You know that these, all these awful, horrible things are happening to your daughter. Mm-hmm. And should you have stood up 
Mm-hmm. And Ben like, no, you're not. She's not going over there. She's mm-hmm. in elementary school. She doesn't want to go. It doesn't matter what your daughter says because this right. random person can come and literally take your daughter. Right. If you interfere with that. You end up going to jail yes. and getting your parental rights terminated. So I could go to jail um, for not allowing the visitation, but he's not going to jail for rape. Um uh, molestation, sexual assault, uh, drug charges, because uh, the state police had all the information about his little manufacturing business and the whole nine yards. But again, his family had a shit ton of money. And so even though he's uh, driving drunk and all these other things and keeps getting stopped and then who miraculously doesn't do any jail time, um, All of these things are happening that should put him behind bars forever. But I'm the bad parent because I don't want my child to be subjected to that behavior. Yeah. And how it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter how good your lawyer is in child custody cases either, because Mm -hmm. like you said, the judges in the system have this thing of both parents need to be in a child's life Mm -hmm. and in a healthy, uh, stable when both adults are healthy, stable, things like that. I don't disagree. Right. You know, I think both parents should have access to their children, but when you're a piece of shit and we have proof and Mm -hmm. you don't change and you're manipulative and things like that, you should not have access to your child or you should have supervised visitation. And even asking for supervised visitation becomes this, well, you must be an awful person. You must think bad things about the other parent. Well, yeah, because they're doing bad things. Exactly. I don't don't know how much more clear I can spell that out. Would you like me to get some uh, crayons and a piece of paper for you and draw you a picture? Right. Like (laughs) I I don't, I I've tried to explain this to you like you're five. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much more, like how better I can do this for you. (gasps) It's so funny, but um, so that, that drug on, oh my God, for literally years and years and years. And he was such a good manipulator that like even, uh, all the times going through the court system for child support or whatever. It's like, he's a union electrician. Okay. He makes a lot of money, a lot of money and always had, but every time we would get ready to go to court, it'd be like, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't have a job through the union right now. I had to get a job at a rock quarry and I'm only making nine dollars an hour and I can't afford to pay child support and so the judge would be like okay we'll we'll lower your child support and then as soon as they lower the child support he would go back to work in his union job again or he'd go to work at McDonald's or whatever he is the gamer of a lifetime because he knew how to work the system and so he's making like $65 an hour at the time. I am still in school and just, you know, trying to get my degree off the ground and the whole nine yards. And it's like, I don't make anywhere near what you make, but okay, let's lower the child support so low that it doesn't even cover like paying for her school which of course was a public school because we didn't have the money to send her to a private school. And so 
like even the divorce was such a is such an ordeal because not only is he very manipulative, but he's very materialistic about things. And so in the divorce, it was like, well, you're not taking any of my stuff. Like you can't have any of my stuff. And I'm literally like, I don't want anything except our daughter. And it's like, well, you're not taking her clothes. You're not taking her bed. And I'm, I'm literally like, I really don't care. You can have everything. You can have every piece of her clothing, every towel, every, every, everything. I'm going to start all over again. All I need is her. And then I'm good. I'm golden. And so that's, that made him happy. And so then he backed off for quite a while because it was like, he got his stuff, you know, but even like, um, years after like we were divorced and stuff and and still going through the court system and the whole nine yards he was still like trying to be manipulative and trying to be controlling and and whatever and it's like you're never gonna amount to anything because you're trailer trash without me and I'm like watch me go I'm like I'm gonna get my shit together and you're gonna wish that you could be me and so it's kind of like my attitude flipped and I was like you know what I'm a badass I'm gonna start over and I'm gonna do this and I don't need no help I don't need your money and so it's like the whole thing like I learned not to be dependent on uh or not expect his child support because hello uh it would never come um and so it's like I rebuilt my life through me and through my hard work and stuff and got us back to um, like normalcy, you know, and, and got us back on the right path and, and whatever, but we're both trying to deal with um, the dramas and the traumas that came from that whole, you know, situation with her father and the court system and whatnot. And it finally got to the point where, you know, she was old enough where she could tell the judge, like, uh, basically, here's my middle finger. I'm not going there anymore. And here's the things that he's done to me. And this is why I don't want to (coughs) go. But that was a very long and very, um, awful, dramatic, terrible speed bump, because there's so many things that happened, like during that time that I didn't even discuss, like, you know, I've mentioned it on the other shows before, but like, you know, him stealing things from a motorcycle gang and, and they're kicking in our, our front door and have me on the ground with a shotgun to my head because he stole from him. He stole drugs from him. You know, and and this was the kind of repeated, like, um, long, drawn out speed bump that happened literally for years. We were together for 15 years. So this was like, you know, a really, really long thing. But this whole time, it's like, I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, still stuck in that mindset of what am I doing wrong? Why, why? is he being mean to me? Why is he like hurting me physically or verbally or, 
you know, whatever. And it wasn't until again, this, the shit happened that made me a stronger person and be like, you know what? I'm pretty awesome. And he just wishes he could be with me now, you know? So it, it took literally years to get over that. So, okay. So I have a question mm-hmm. that mentality switch. Yes. It, there was a certain point of, um, a slow realization, mm-hmm. but was it a consistently slow realization or was there a point where you felt like it was building, building and all of a sudden, like a switch got flipped and you're like, hell yeah, I can do this by myself. Mm-hmm. Cause I've had my experience, but I want to hear yours. Yeah. Um, it took a lot of, it took a long time because honestly, um, you really, really have to dig deep and look at yourself and be like, think about it on the, on the flip side and be like, you know what? I didn't cause him to be violent. I didn't do anything to deserve it. Uh, I am a really awesome person. You know, I, I am better than this and I deserve better than this, but it, it took a long time emotionally to do that. Um, like inside work to realize that I'm better than that. And that I was just, my mindset was so, um, basically destroyed from, from growing up, you know, that whole, uh, put me in that, uh, pathway to find all of these losers successfully, you know, (laughs) flashing neon sign above my head that said, please come and shit on me. Um, and not literally, uh, but you know, it, it took a long time to, to realize, um, and to get over that, you know, I I do, I am worthy of love. I am worthy of, you know, someone thinking that I'm good enough and, and whatever, because when you, when you, when you're stuck in that mindset, um, for such a long time and, and have these bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship, I call it baggage that you carry with you um, because you expect like the other shoe to fall um, or the other shoe to drop the whole time. And you're always waiting for someone to um, treat you bad or to uh, hurt you physically or verbally or, you know, whatever. Um, You carry that baggage from one relationship to another and you expect every relationship to be the same way until you confront those emotions inside yourself and you deal with that. 100%. And for me too, and I am guessing part of this was for you is also forgiving yourself. Cause you're like, Oh, well I stayed in this right. bad relationship or whatever for X amount of time. Right. I must be such a bad person for doing that. No. Mm-hmm. And it, you have to forgive yourself because everyone has their shit. Mm -hmm. And for me, where it comes from is you can continually stay there or you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it takes you one lesson or 502 lessons. Mm -hmm. If you learn from it, that's what matters. Right. You know, and the, and the thing about that is that every, every bad event, um, 
is a strength building, character building event for me because um, I'm not a quitter. I am a huge lover. Uh, and I think that's um, because not getting that growing up, I wanted better. I wanted to do better and to be better and to be able to give what I did not receive, you know, growing up. And so um, even staying in that shitty relationship for such a long time, um, I love with my whole heart when I love somebody. And so it's like, almost kind of like the need to want to help him get better. And that, you know, I, I felt like, um, like it was just a really intense therapy session you know, that we were living. And I'm like, I'm gonna make you better. I know if I keep trying, I'll make you better. Um, but I gave up finally. And the good thing is, um, I'm glad I gave up and I'm glad that, uh, I could at that time in my life, consider myself a quitter because he is still the same person. He is still a drug addict. He is still an alcoholic. He is still violent. He is still all of those things and nothing I could do or any of the other wives that he's had could do it either. You can't change someone else. That person is who they are and it's up to them to change it. And so that is one of the blessings of a speed bump that I learned throughout my life is that um, I don't have to do those things. It's not on me. Um, It's on that person to do better and to fix whatever's wrong with them. It's not my job. Yeah. It's that cliche, you know, you're only responsible for yourself and how you Mm -hmm. react to a situation. You can't be responsible for anyone else's emotions. Um, That doesn't mean, you know, go be an asshole to someone. And then when they get upset with you, you know, that's their fault. That's not what I'm saying. Um, But if you're just genuinely trying to be a good person and trying to be you and someone gets mad at you for that, uh, that sounds like a them problem, not a you problem. That is true. Yeah. you know, it's a, it's a hundred percent. And, you know, um, there's so many things, uh, that happen like throughout my life. I mean, I, I went through like a house fire and, you know, being displaced for nine months into a hotel, um, learning to live in really, really cramped quarters in a hotel room. Um, that will definitely, uh, test your patience, um, or, um, like being engaged to someone else and on your wedding day, the person doesn't show up and you don't hear from them for nine months. And then you find out, uh, they were arrested because they were a fraudster. Um, literally every thing has taught me patience, um, has taught me how resilient I am as a person. And I kind of, and I know this may sound cocky to say, um, 
but given those traumas, not to mention any of the other stuff that's happened, I almost feel like it doesn't matter what comes my way. I'm still resilient and I'm still going to be able to handle it. I don't think that's cocky at all. I think it's the realization and self-assurance within yourself that you are strong enough. And it's not saying Mm -hmm. that something shitty might not happen in the future and it's not going to suck, but you know that you have the self fortitude, I guess, to deal with it. Right. Absolutely. So, um, you know, like going through all of that stuff and then, uh, and I know people have heard me talk about this before, but my sister and I were two years apart. Um, super duper close, uh, even though she was the favorite, um, she was, she was still my favorite person. And so, uh, we were two years apart and she died from a medication that she was given, uh, like instantly it exploded her heart. And so that was like a huge setback because not only you know, did I lose somebody, but my parents lost their favorite. And so the emotional state um, that especially my parents were in, and one of my parents is still in to this day, and this is long, 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 this is over 35 years later. Um, But the, the trauma that it caused for them and the emotional changes that it made inside of them. And then um, like almost hatred that came out of them um, in their attitude toward me because I was still here and she wasn't. And so it was like that just very bitter um you know, like resentment attitude that they had toward me, um, after that situation. And that, that was another huge speed bump because it's like, we're just getting to the point where I'm forgiving them for, you know, things in the past. And we're just starting to build that relationship. And then this happens. And then it's like back to square zero. That's, I don't even know what to say, Janet, to be honest with you. (laughs) Um, Like, and I just, I knew some of the things that you had gone through. I didn't know, you know, to this extent. Mm -hmm. Um, And this isn't me pitying you. I don't pity anyone Mm -mm. that's gone through speed bumps. Yeah, no. I don't, I don't want pity myself. So I don't Mm -mm. pity others. Um, It's just this, uh, I guess a shock of um, how much other people have gone through and how we don't know a lot of people's stories. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we see them on Instagram or their celebrity or, you know, they're in the news person. We're like, Oh, and, but until you actually sit down and have a conversation with someone, mm-hmm. um, do you really know all the stuff that they've gone through? And even then uh, this obviously isn't your comprehensive life story. And no one's going to know all the things that you've gone through except for you. Yeah. And so I feel like part of this show is just learning to give others grace and Mm -hmm. recognizing you 
don't know all the things that they've gone through or why they're reacting the way that they're reacting. Right. Um, And just giving that little bit of grace sometimes to people. Yeah. And see, I think that's so beautifully said because so many times um, we as humans are so quick to judge other people. And it's like, oh, look at that scowl on her face or, you know, oh, he looks like a homeless person or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like people have these judgmental ways about them. And I have learned to never be that way because um, it is literally only by the grace of God that I am who I am today and that I have come out of uh, a lot of the situations that I was in. And so it's not my job to judge other people. My job on the face of this earth is to give love and understanding to other people um, and always try to um, spread a smile give a hug. I'm a huge hugger. Uh, so like if you ever meet me in person, um, you may wind up in a body cast, uh, because of my hugs, because yeah, I'm that way now. No, no, no. So I absolutely love that. And I'm definitely a hugger too. At some point we're going to have to meet in person. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's funny. I'll meet someone new. And like, when you, when you vibe with someone, you're like, Oh, can I hug you? And you, the ones that like want hugs are like, absolutely. Yes. And then the ones other, sometimes you're like, Oh, I like, I guess. And, but like, you still want to hug them and love them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The, the people that make me chuckle though, are the people that will come in for a hug and then it'll be like, uh, uh, you know, like, barely touching you on the shoulder or something. And I'm like, you're the one that wanted to initiate that. Is this a test for you? Like to see if you can really hug? Cause I feel like I'm being tested. And it's like that limp noodle handshake that some people give, yes. like that super dainty one. It's like, no, just give me a real handshake. Yeah. Be a real hugger. If you're going to hug me. Yeah. 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 Re- real hugs only. So like, um, after this whole like dramatic, uh, like decade of, you know, all over a decade, a long time of like crappy relationships and all of that stuff, then it like progressed from, and, and these are, and, and it sounds funny, but it like is categorized, uh, by things that happen and what you need in your life to work on. And so it moved from relationships um, and trust building and, you know, love and stuff like that into medical stuff. And what I can do uh, or what I went through and I had to learn, even though, hello, I'm a nurse, um, even I had to learn for myself, like what to do to fix myself. Um, and not be reliant or dependent on medications. And so um, it started out, I was on hormones, um, of course, birth control, different kinds, switching them up all the time. And, you know, the doctors were like, oh, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be working. Let's try this one. 
And so in that process, um, it caused me to develop a lot of breast tumors. And so I went through a period where uh, I had, I can't tell you how many surgeries um, to remove these tumors. Um, And it wasn't until finally, after researching on my own, it's like, oh, well, you're getting these tumors because they're biopsying all these shit all for years had all this stuff done. And like my boobs are very different size now because, you know, of the amount of tumors that we removed on each side or whatever. But it's like uh, researching on my own. And it's like, I found out that birth control pills can cause these hormonal tumors to grow. And it's like, um, a word of, you know, it's like my body sending up a warning flag going, uh, hello. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't be taking these because these are detrimental to your health and it's causing major issues. So then we move from that into, uh, like my spine deteriorated super rapidly, um, because I was on the depo shot and it, tells you very clearly in the package insert that it takes calcium from your bones. Um, It deteriorated my spine and I had to have um, a spinal fusion and bone grafting done. And again, I'm like your body, like a red flag telling you, you know, stop this because the, the back surgery that I had done, you know, I'm, I'm, new at work. I don't have a huge bank of, of sick time or anything like that. And I'm telling the surgeon, I'm like, I can't take six weeks off of work. I'm like, I'm a single mom and I don't have that much vacation time. So I am determined that I am going to recover quickly so that I can go back to work. And so I'm telling myself every day, like, you you can't let this pain get to you. Like, it doesn't hurt. Suck it up and, and get on your feet, start walking again, get stronger and be able to go back to work. And so I did, you know, I was only off for like a month instead of six or I was off three weeks instead of six weeks. And the doctor was like, I've never seen that before. That's like not normal, you know, whatever. And then um, I started having issues where I was really tired all the time and I couldn't function. And I'd go to take my dog out and I would fall asleep, literally sitting there waiting for him to pee. And I'm like short of breath. And I'm like, something is so wrong with me. So then I find out that I have a very rare heart anomaly. Um, after going through crap tons of testing and the doctor looks at me and he says, I've never seen this. I've only read about it in a book. My favorite line Um, when I go to the doctor. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, well, glad I could be your first. I'm glad you've seen it now. Happy, happy to be here. Um, but it's like, 
going through uh like years and years and years and years of you know what what kind of things are we going to put her on to keep her alive and you know we can't fix your problem we can't surgically fix it because well that would be you know way too risky and you're definitely going to die if we do surgery so uh you know going through switching up meds and meds and meds and meds and meds and meds and they put me on a medication that put me in the hospital. Lost the use of my arms and legs. Uh, couldn't function. Started having strokes. And so, like, for a lot of people, when they listen to me, like, sometimes they're like, well, your words are all jumbly or, you know, like, you stutter or, you know, whatever. You can't find your words. Well, yeah. Um, because I have had multiple many strokes um, from the medications that I was on. Uh, and so that was fun for years going through the period of strokes because I couldn't go anywhere without someone. And I couldn't even go to the grocery store without uh, getting a cart to hold on to. Because I was afraid that I was going to drop to the floor. Did the doctors ever acknowledge that like the depo shot caused the spine deterioration or like that the drugs that they put you on were causing the mini strokes or did they just, my, my neurosurgeon is uh, the one that discovered the link with the depo. Um, the, <laughs> the cardiologist and the neurologist that were uh, working in tandem on me. Uh, no, they, it couldn't be, it couldn't be. They I have no idea. I don't know what it was. Where was it listed in the package insert? Like, I kind of have to know this, you know? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. I'm screaming inside right now. Yeah. But these are, these are things that are so uh, common or, you know, like, if you know, how they always do their commercials on TV and they're like, oh, well, it could cause blindness, stroke, seizure, you know, eyes rolling back in the back of your head, might die from it, blah, blah, blah. But there's so many, there's always a huge list that they don't discuss with you. And I'm one of those people, um, my body after all of the, uh, you know, heart stuff and the strokes and the tumors and the literally every medical setback. Um, my body has told me uh, run from everything because I my list of medications I'm allergic to is flipping huge now. Oh, yeah. um, I'm one of those people that, you know, they'll give you Finnergan. Um, for nausea and vomiting, uh, I am allergic to Phenergan. It will make me projectile vomit. So Zofran used to be the only thing that would work for my nausea. And when I mm-hmm. went in for my ovarian cyst, uh, they were giving it to me via the IV and I got like an ice pick migraine in my forehead and I lost mm-hmm. the ability to speak. And this mm-hmm. happened three times. Finally, after the third time, Mike was like, we're not, you're not giving this to her anymore. Like she's clearly incapacitated. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out it was, it was serotonin syndrome. Right. And they're like, oh, you can't have serotonin syndrome from getting Zofran. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you can. It's listed it, in the package insert. And I could have died from it. Exactly. And that's the thing is that um, people in the medical community, myself included, uh, are retarded when it comes to knowing everything you need to know. Now, granted, um some people are lazy. They don't look stuff up to tell their patients, but there are literally so many medications on the planet. Uh, if you don't know, and a patient asks you, like, what can I expect? What are the side effects? Blah, blah, blah. You better sit your ass on a stool and look it up. So you can tell them, and I mean, literally tell them everything. 100%, and I have called informed consent. Yes. I have never failed to tell a patient. Uh, there are going to be things that I did not discuss with you because the list is long. Please make sure you read all of the side effects from the package insert or make sure you look it up online. Because inevitably, there will be something that I forgot to tell you. Well, and okay, so doctors are busy. Fine. You can't know every side effect of every medication. No, no argument there. Mm -hmm. Um, But when a patient comes to you and says, hey, I think this is because of this medication. If they just didn't gaslight patients, that would be a huge improvement. Because how many times I've been told, oh, that can't cause that. And I look it up and it absolutely can. Right. Well, here's a case in point. Um, not too long ago, uh, I started having pain in my liver and I'm like, WTF, what is going on? And so, you know, I went to the regular doctor and they're like, oh my God, your liver enzymes are sky high. And I'm like, well, I figured because, uh, I I'm having liver pain. And so I went to see a specialist and they're like, uh, you have what they call it. Cirrhosis or something. Um, it wasn't cirrhosis, but it was like, uh, fatty liver disease. It it was like a non-alcoholic strata or something. I don't know. I can't remember what it was called. So anyway, they're like, oh, it's, uh, it's not reversible. And, uh, you know, like you can't ever have any kind of alcohol and whatever. And, you know, if it progresses, you're going to have to have a, a transplant and whatever. They're telling me all this shit before they even do any testing. Okay. They diagnosed me before they looked at anything before they ran a scan before they did anything he's like i just know this is what you got blah 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 so assumptive diagnosing for me um so i go and have the scan and whatnot and you know hello i know the text and they're like there's nothing here and i'm like interesting so i go back for a follow-up and it's like oh yeah like that's you're going to get close to a liver transplant and uh, all this. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's not going to happen. And, you know, 
I started using lemongrass essential oil on my Vitaflex points on my feet. I went back and had my liver enzymes enzymes done um, later on down the road, several months later. And do you know, uh, also quit a medication that they had me on. Um, I completely fixed my liver that was uncurable and that I was going to have a tra- have to have a transplant for. Fixed like it on my own. Neither one of us are doctors and this is not medical advice. However, natural medicine, in my opinion, for mm-hmm. most things is far superior. 100%. Trauma, trauma is a totally different story. But in every other aspect, the original medicine, I don't even call it natural medicine, the original medicine, you know, mm-hmm. the herbs, the stuff from your garden, right. the forest, right. essential oils, herbs, things like that. That is where you're going to find the miracles at. You know, right. very rarely do you find the people who took umpteenth rounds of chemotherapy and then lived another 40 years after cancer. Right. 100%. Instead of people who went all natural. So hundred percent. And that's people. And that's the thing. And that that was like um my point in in this particular thing that even with all of the uh setbacks from you know shit tons of surgeries and you know all of the medical stuff it was testing my will and my resolve to heal myself because we have the power to do so um, through plants, through herbs, you know, the whole nine yards. And so that was like the section of my life that was a wake up call for me to stop staying in a poisonous, toxic system that was damaging my body and go for what I could do naturally on my own to fix things. 100%. And I love that. And even when you were talking about your spinal surgery, when you're like, no, I'm not going to be in bed for six weeks. It, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not going to take that long. Um, You know, me, you obviously needed the surgery to stabilize your spine, but then there is a component Mm -hmm. of mind over matter of, you know, I, 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 either you don't feel the pain or it's not as bad as you think, or Mm -hmm. you, like you said, you do have the power to heal yourself. You absolutely 100% do. And that is so controversial. And you will never hear a Mm -hmm. Western medicine allopathic doctor say that because no money in it. Right. And that's (laughs) the, that's the thing is it is, um, it completely has to do with your mindset and that's with anything that you're going through. And you should never give energy to, you know, like, oh, I have a headache. Oh, I have a stomach ache. Oh, I'm nauseated, blah, blah, blah. Uh, If you catch yourself doing that, stop and reverse course and go a different way. Because I will tell you, um, the spine surgery was probably the roughest thing I've been through. Even worse than childbirth, um, which was not fun. Um, but because, uh, it was such a large area and I had a bone graft and a stimulator implant and all of that crap at the same time, um, you can't bend or twist in the area that I had it in. And so this is embarrassing, but you can't wipe your own butt. 
Because if you think about wiping your butt and how you have to like turn a little, you can't do that. And so uh, God loved the people that were around me at that time, um, which were not family members um, that were selfless to the point where they not only wiped my butt, but they would also give me a bath. And take care of me where I could not. And so um, God brings people into our lives at the time that we need them, when we need them, for what purpose we need them. And that doesn't always mean it's a positive purpose. Um, That's why I said you have to be thankful for everything that happens to you, good or bad, because that was brought into your life for a specific reason and a specific purpose to teach you the lesson that you need to learn to make yourself a stronger, better, more loving, accepting person. I 100% agree with that. And I feel like, you know, people are going to listen to this and go, you know, I heard Ellie's first episode and I'm hearing Janet's and both of these women have been through some crazy shit. And at the end, they're telling us that we're supposed to be grateful and they mm-hmm. might look at us like we have three heads, but you said this and I'm saying, I do. I just now. tucked them in. <laughs> <laughs> like we're genuinely grateful for all the shit that we've gone yeah. through because without it, we would not be where we are now. hundred percent. And it, and you know, um, like a lot of people don't understand that um, when you go through life, you go through a series of tests. Um, it's just like being in school. You learn and you test. And so going through life, these speed bumps um, or series of events that you will go through are to test you and how you're going to respond and how you're going to use that lesson to better yourself. And so, yes, I'm extremely grateful. Um, even with, you know, I've had a lot, a lot, a lot of people uh, like die around me. Um, you know, a lot of terrible things happen. A lot of traumas happen. But it has Everything has made me a better person because it taught me uh, how to live. And I mean, truly live where um, I am accepting and grateful and joyous um, for everything that's in my life, because I know it was put there for a purpose and a reason to put me on the path that I need to be on, that I was supposed to be on. I 100% agree. 100% agree. And if people don't understand that, it's because um, they have not done the work inside themselves yet. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, at least in my opinion, you have to go through absolutely awful, horrible shit to Mm -hmm. be grateful for where you are and learn the lessons. Um, You can learn lessons from your dishwasher breaking or, you know, your car breaking down or you know, and how you handle it. Exactly. It's all about how you Mm -hmm. handle it, whatever that situation is. Well, and here's, here's a, um, a little thing about that. Okay. So our ice maker, um, likes to place tricks on me all the time. And so sometimes it'll come out normal 
and I'll be able to fill up, you know, my glass or whatever. And other times, um, it's kind of like uh, that commercial for the, what is it? The Sour Patch Kids. Sometimes they're sweet and sometimes they're yeah. sour. Uh, my ice maker is the same way. And so when it gets on its sour mood, um, it will literally start spitting ice in random places out from the chute. And so it's it's like shooting it all over the kitchen floor and there's all these pieces and whatever. And mind you, I cannot bend like a normal person because of my fusion. And so it used to be like, I would get so irritated that I would have to pick them up. And I'm like, now it's like a funny game to me. And I, I laugh about it because I'm like, oh my God, I can just imagine like how funny I look right now. If somebody would be videoing me trying to pick up all these hundreds of ice people pieces that just shattered all over the kitchen floor, you know, and it's, it's like one of those things, like I said before, like, um, how you approach things and how you look at things that happen to you. Like, are you one of those people that gets really irritated because somebody puts the toilet paper roll on differently than what you like? Or, or do you just change it and go about your day? Because in the grand scheme of life, that toilet paper direction does not make a difference on how you live your life. And everybody does things differently. Everybody's on a different path. And a lot of people are on a different path on a different timeline. And so they have to have experiences and things happen to them at the designated time for them to learn. That is a wonderful summation of everything we just talked about, Janet. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. If you want to tell people where they can find you, I would really appreciate that. And I'll also put it in the show notes. Uh, In the mental ward? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, You can find Deplorable Nation on every podcast platform. You can also find it on Alt Media United, an actual activist with an S on the end, dot com. Um. As far as video versions of the shows that uh, Deplorable Nation does, you can check that out on Roku TV. Uh, Go and search for Patriot Podcast Network. Uh, Download that channel, and there's a lot of great content creators on there. Uh, Scroll down toward the very bottom, and you will find Deplorable Nation. So that is the only place you can find the video episodes. Thank you so much, Jane. It was a pleasure speaking with you today and I can't wait to do it again soon. And I just wanted to thank everyone for being here on Speed Bumps and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day.